you're ready to get into the Word of God tonight. I think you guys like the Word of God. I think you love the Word of God. Or you wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's stand together. And um, I want to just, uh, if that's the one I'm looking for, I want to do this real quickly. Let's just go over the seven last sayings of Jesus together and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the last three of them tonight, and I'll tell you about the series we're starting next week uh, as soon as we finish this. So let's just say them together. The word of forgiveness, the word of salvation, the word of affection, the word of suffering, and then tonight, the word of anguish, the word of victory, and the word of surrender. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the final seven sayings of Jesus how profound they are. And Lord, we pray that you will just quicken it to us tonight and help us, Lord, to model our lives after what these sayings reveal. We thank you for the renewing of our minds, for being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the power of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Kathy and I um, were watching um, a show, or or not a show, a a program on um, one of the Christian channels last night, and uh, it was a comedian, really funny guy, and he was, I mean, truly funny. We were really, truly, this guy was funny. Some people try to be funny, they're not. He was really funny. Anyway, the, the, the church he was in, was a, a little bit smaller than what we're moving into. And I got to thinking, you know, Kathy, won't it be great? We'll be able to have some great concerts, some family nights. And we'll be able to bring people like this and have community-wide things where you've got this really, really nice sanctuary and building to do that kind of thing in. I believe it's going to be a center for the activity of the Holy Spirit in that region. I really do. A lot of good things are going to happen in that building. All right, now we've been talking about the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. How powerful this is. The last seven things that he uttered prior to his death and his resurrection. Now, from these sayings, we have seen so far that Jesus served as our, what everybody, our intercessor. He's our king. He's our protector and the suffering servant. Now, We just went over them briefly, but let's look at these real quickly again from another angle. First, he said, what, everyone? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That was a prayer of forgiveness. And there he revealed himself as our intercessor. Then he said, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. That's a promise of eternal life. He's our king, only a king can open the gates to a kingdom. Amen? Then he said, read it with me, dear woman, here is your son. And then he turned to John and said, here is your mother. And what did he reveal himself to be? Our protector. And he's, Jesus was a family man. Uh, He revealed his gift of care and family protection. But Jesus' family is you. That's his family. He said, my family are those who hear the will of God and do it. 
That's my family. That's my brothers, sisters, mothers, and so on and so forth. All right? Now, when his life was almost over, Jesus said, what, everyone? I am thirsty. An admission of physical need. And there he revealed himself as the God-man. All God, all man. Because as a man, he thirsted. And this was a, a, a cry of anguish. And we're going to look at that one tonight. He also uttered a cry of desolation. Can we read it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that moment that God the Father was lifting his hand off of Jesus. And what I believe he dreaded more than anything and what made him sweat drops of blood. It was not the anticipation of the beating. It was the anticipation of being separated from the Father. That's what it was. And when it happened and God withdrew his hand as he took upon himself the sins of the world, then this cry is one of the most pathos-filled cries in the history of the world. My God, never before in eternity past had Jesus the Son ever been separated from God the Father. But he was here. Then came his declaration of completion. We're going to look at this tonight. What did he say? It is finished. And then finally he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These were the words of submission and surrender, and I love it. And we've already gone over those, so let's just move on and look at the first one. The last three sayings, the word of anguish, the word of victory, and the word of surrender. Now, remember I shared with you when we began this series that when you're dying, you don't talk about the weather. You don't talk about uh, things that don't matter. You don't talk, talk about trivialities. You're going to talk about what is most on your mind. Dying people talk about their wills, talk about their children, talk about their belongings, talk about uh, uh, the deeper, more profound issues of life. And here Jesus utters seven final statements from the cross. And are they powerful? And this fifth one, when he said, I thirst, what a powerful, powerful revelation that is in that Jesus was fully human. I thirst indicates Jesus' human body tormented by grievous pain. Here you see how his mortal flesh had to share in the agony of his inward spirit. He was not only anguished on the inside, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But on the outside, he's also in anguish. He's thirsty. Now, believe it or not, I believe there's four truths in those two words. I believe there's four things we can see in those two words. Let me just bring them out to you real quickly. First, I thirst is the sign of his true humanity. I thirst is the complaint, not of Superman, but of a human. He's human. Though he was Lord of all, he had so fully taken upon himself the form of a servant and was so perfectly made in the likeness of sinful flesh that he cried with a fainting voice, I thirst. Jesus was and is indeed bone of our bones, flesh of our flesh. Because he bore our infirmities. The fact that God, who flung the stars into space, created everything from nothing, ex nihilo, everything from nothing, 
this God, was willing to wrap himself in flesh. And as we talked about last week, humble himself all the way to the cross. And now here he is, hanging on the cross for your sins and mine. And he's taken on a physical body, no doubt about it. Contrary to what the Gnostic heretics of the New Testament days taught, that Jesus never really was a human that he never really became a human being, that God did not become a human. No, this Jesus became all man while remaining all God, so much all man that his tongue was swollen according to Psalms 22. His tongue clove, cleaved to, to his jaws from thirst. All human. He's all human. And he did it for you and me, the incarnation, so that there's not a thing you and I experience ever in the realm of temptation that he didn't experience as well. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sinning. He know, have you had a temptation this week? He felt that temptation. No matter how strange you may think it seems or feels, It says in the Bible, and let the word be true and every man a liar, that he was tempted in every conceivable way that we are, yet without sinning. That's how human he became. And you know why that blesses me? Because he can understand us. When you go to him and you say, Lord, you know, I'm really experiencing this temptation, this weakness, then he he is able to pour compassion out on you because he knows what it feels like. He understands, personally understands. He was all human. For our sakes, he placed himself into a position of shame and suffering where none would wait upon him. But when he cried, I thirst, they gave him vinegar to drink, mocking him. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, secondly, this phrase, these two words, I thirst, is the token of his suffering substitution. Jesus cried, I thirst, because he was placed in the sinner's stead, yours and mine, and had to undergo the penalty of sin for the ungodly. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Points to the anguish of his soul. But I thirst expresses in part the torture of his body. And they both were needful, anguish of his soul and torture of his body. Because it's written of the God of justice that he is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It says, fear him. Don't fear people, but you better fear the one who can take you and throw you into hell. Amen? And the pangs that come due to the law are of both kinds. They touch the heart and they touch the flesh. And we see Jesus suffering in both arenas. When he said, I thirst, that's his flesh. But when he said, my God, my God, that was his soul. He suffered both. We see here, see here where sin began. Watch this. This is where sin began and it marks where it ends. It began with the mouth of appetite when it was sinfully gratified. And it ends when a kindred appetite is graciously denied. Think about that. That's a powerful truth. There was way more with Jesus on the cross than we think. 
Our first parents plucked forbidden fruit, and by eating it, they slew the race. We all came under condemnation when they ate. Appetite was the door of sin. How the devil appealed to Eve. It says she looked and saw that it was good for food, the forbidden fruit. So appetite was the door of sin. And so at that point, Jesus was put to pain. With I thirst, the evil of the first sinful choice was destroyed. Amen. So thank God, Jesus thirsted. Thank God. Thank God. Now, third, I thirst is an indicting testimony of man's treatment of God. The soldier who heard Jesus' request ran and filled a sponge with vinegar. Now he said, here's this dying man. It's, it's really, son- he's beaten beyond recognition. You can't even tell who he is anymore. And from swollen tongue, mouth, barely able to guard, I thirst, this soldier ran and grabbed a sponge with vinegar. Can you imagine somebody giving you vinegar if you're thirsty? That's a mockery. Now, it was the best way he knew of putting a few drops of moisture to the lips of one suffering so much. But though he felt a degree of pity, it was such as somebody might show to a dog. He felt no reverence, but mocked even as he offered it. We read, the soldiers also mocked him, offering him vinegar. You know, there's a scripture I think of a lot when I, when I just watch people, and it's this one. The kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. What a wicked person thinks is kind, from God's viewpoint, is cruel. Amen? Somebody with a wicked heart can't do a truly godly kind thing. And so even the, even the kind acts of the wicked are, are cruel. And that's what happened with this vinegar situation. Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, and afterwards said, I thirst. And the persons around the cross said, let be. Let's see whether Elias will come to save him, mocking him. And according to Mark, he who gave the vinegar uttered much the same words. He pitied the sufferer, but it was a cruel pity because he joined in the voice of scorn, even when he offered that vinegar to Jesus. So, folks, you know, I think of David real quickly. You know, it says when David, when the plague was moving through Israel, and it was moving through Israel because he counted the people. For some reason, that angered God, and a plague began to move through Israel. So, God gave David a choice. He said, you want to fall in the hands of men, or you want to fall in the hands of God? And David said, give me God, not men. Because even the severest dealings of God are better than being handled by men. Y'all understand that? Now, here's the fourth thing. The cry of, I thirst, I believe, was a deeper expression of the desire of his heart. More than just, I'm physically thirsty. For me, it's difficult to believe that natural thirst was all he felt when he said, I thirst. He thirsted for water, But his soul was thirsty in a deeper sense. You know what I think it was? He was expressing his soul's cravings as well as his soul's longings. I thirst meant his heart was thirsting to save men. I believe that. That's why he was hanging up there. 
I mean, look at, look at the, the degree to which he went to save men. I mean, the beating, the torture, the crucifixion, all of that. So to me, he was thirsting to get to the place where it was finished so he could save people. This thirst had been on him from the earliest of his earthly days. Don't you understand? He told his parents when they found him after he had turned up missing for a number of days, they found him in the temple. He said, don't you understand that I must be about my father's business? And he was only 12 years old then. So he was fully aware as a 12-year-old preteen, fully aware of who he was. I mean, what are your 12-year-olds aware of? (laughs) I mean, you're talking about a profound individual here. He's saying, I'm about my father's business. You ought to know that. Did he not tell his disciples, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? He thirsted to pluck us from between the jaws of hell. That was his thirst to pay our redemption price and set us free from the eternal condemnation which hung over all of us. And when on the cross, the work was almost done, yet his thirst was not quite quenched and could not be till he said, it is finished. Now, I want to tell you, I believe that was part of his thirst. Jesus longed to have the sacrifice of his blood finished so that we could be saved. That's why when you get really filled with the Holy Spirit and you you just get into witnessing a little bit, it becomes a passion. And where does that come from? It comes from the king of passions for souls. It comes from Jesus. All right, let's look at the sixth work of Jesus Christ. The sixth work of Christ on the cross. Next, Jesus cried, what everybody? It is finished. This is the word of victory. He's not just a sufferer. Praise God, Jesus is a finisher. Thank God, Jesus finished. Amen? That was a cry of victory. Everything up to that point was anguish and pain, but now we got victory coming. He followed his mission through to perfection. He did what he was called to do, even when it meant dying in pain and suffering to pay the full penalty for sin. The Bible says that Jesus is both the author and the what? Finisher of our faith. You know, I got good news for you. Inside of you, in your spirit, is a finisher. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that if you really walk with him, you become a finisher. You become one who finishes the projects that God gives you. You become somebody who stays through to the end. You become a finisher because the one inside of us is not a quitter. He's a finisher. He's done everything that needed to be done for our salvation from beginning to end. Our redemption is fully accomplished and the price is fully paid. I got to tell you the greatest thing, I think this, it is finished, blesses me. Because he himself said, don't you know that I could call on legions of angels right now and they would whisk me out of here? But I'm not going to do that because I willingly give my life up. That's what I was born to do. I was born to die. I was born to give my life for the sins of mankind. So I'm going to finish. And because he finished, we're here tonight. Because he finished, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Because he finished. Our hand has been placed in God's hand, and we have peace with God. I was with somebody tonight, Kathy and I, on the, on the way to church, went by a little hospital visitation, and was uh, meeting, talking to somebody in there and praying with them uh, before they have some tests tomorrow. And, you know, I was saying, you know, the greatest thing you can have is peace with God. There is something about getting peace with God. If you get peace with God, it begins to affect every area of your life. You can have tranquil surroundings and be in chaos on the inside. But you can have peace with God and have chaos out here and still have peace. And so thank God that it is finished because it's finished. We're going to heaven and not hell because it's finished. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Can we just thank the Lord that it is finished? Father, we just thank you tonight that it's finished. We thank you that Jesus did a complete work, and because of that, we're forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Now, the relationship that that relates to, because every one of his statements also relate to a relationship, speak to some kind of relationship on earth. Now, Jesus' words of completion declare that he's our Savior in every sense of the word. As a result of his obedience, we were carried into full relationship with God and his Christ. We now hear the invitation of Jesus calling from the book of Revelation, and I love this. The Spirit and the bride say, what, everybody? And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life because it's finished. Now, here's the duty that goes along with it is finished. Along with our trust in God goes the duty of our obedience to the finish. To our faith, we are called to add works. You weren't saved by works, but you were saved for works. Now, I'm going to say that again. You weren't saved by works. Works couldn't save you if you lived to be a million. You weren't saved by works, but you were saved for works that God ordained that we would walk in before the foundations of the world. All right? We're saved for works. And so God fully expects your faith to grow feet, and he expects every one of you to be involved in works that reach people. You know, I heard a neat stat today. They found out who the three happiest career people are, the three happiest in their careers. You know what the number one was? Clergy. And you know why? Because they're always helping people. They're always helping people. See, that's where you find happiness and fulfillment. Not in making millions and millions of dollars because there's so many. I mean, look at uh, this actor this week tried to kill himself. And I've seen him in a couple of movies. Likeable guy tried to kill himself. Why would that be? Because you can have multi-millions of dollars and seemingly have the world by the tail. But if your soul is empty, none of that means a thing. It's people who help people who are the happiest. And so the Bible says we weren't saved by works, we were saved by grace, but we were saved for works. So every one of you, somewhere, somehow, some way, ought to be involved in reaching out to people and blessing them and helping them somehow. Somehow you ought to be. 
If you're not, I'm giving you a wake-up call tonight. You're called. You're called. There's a call on you. So look around where God has you. Where are you? doesn't matter. Look around where you are. That's where he has you. So reach out and touch somebody. Reach out to somebody. Bless somebody. Do good to somebody. And you'll be happy. Well, that, that was, amen, Pastor Jeff. I'll get that CD. I'll listen to that on the way home. I've never known a happy, selfish person. And I've never known an unhappy giver. Just remember that. Now, the sixth duty. Along with our trust in God goes the duty of our obedience to the finish. To, the, to faith, we're called to add works. We follow his example by obeying God in all things to the very end. We should be able to say with Paul at the end of our earthly journey, read this with me, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course and I've kept the faith. That ought to be what every one of us say. If you can say that, you were a success. We're to run our race with perseverance, not giving up when we're weak and tired, but finishing well. Then we'll be able to say what Jesus said, even if we're not as perfect. It is finished, Lord, by your own merciful grace. I've done the work you called me to do. And we'll hear him say, enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done. You say with me, it's finished. All right. Now the seventh and last work of Jesus Christ. There is the last thing that Jesus said. Can we read it together? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. This final cry, those are the last words of Jesus, this side of the resurrection. The last thing he said before he died And it's a declaration of surrender to the Father's will, even in the presence of suffering. Having suffered, Jesus committed himself into the hands of God. Now, I'm going to tell you all the truth about something before I just show you this last bit. Uh, Because you're a believer certainly does not mean you're not going to suffer. And it really doesn't matter if you say the right things, if you name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, you're still going to suffer. Okay? If you're suffering, there's nothing wrong with your confession. And there's nothing wrong with your faith. Not that your faith can't bring healing sometimes, but you know what? Sometimes it doesn't. Can I be honest with you here tonight? And kind of get all the hype out of the way? And and, and do I believe you ought to pray for healing? Absolutely. But you're also going to suffer sometimes mentally. You're going to get hurt. You're going to go through tough times. You're going to struggle in your marriage, struggle in your singleness. You're going to struggle with temptation. Sometimes you're going to mess up, and and it's going to hurt you. Sometimes you'll suffer from what you bring on yourself, and sometimes you'll suffer from what others bring on you. Nothing makes me matter with righteous anger, I think, than these people who say, if you have the right confession or have good faith, you'll never suffer. That's just, that, that's not in the Bible. Read the second half of Hebrews 11. And the only reason I'm saying this is because here's Jesus 
surrendering himself to the full will of God in the presence of the most intense suffering of his life. He surrendered to God in his suffering. And sometimes you will need to surrender to God in your suffering. And that's going to that's gonna predict how the whole thing comes out. Because if you surrender to God in your suffering, then he takes you through the valley of the shadow of death. And he takes you eventually through the other side. But we don't know always what the other side will be. I've seen people prayed for by the whole world and they died. I've seen people prayed for by some nobody and they were healed. I've seen times that I thought and knew somebody was going to be healed and they weren't. And other times I didn't have much faith and they were. What I'm trying to show you here is that Jesus submitted himself to the providence and the will of God in his suffering. And he was giving us an example. You can either rebuke the devil till you're blue when you're suffering. Or you can finally just say, Lord, you know what? I don't understand. Job didn't understand. David didn't understand why he ran through the wilderness and hid in fields under the stars or in the darkness of caves for 10 years running from an insane king. He didn't understand that. But he committed himself into the hands of God. And what I'm trying to share with you is that sometimes you'll suffer. And Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that's come upon you to try you as though some strange or weird thing were happening to you. Sometimes you're going to suffer. And you're going to go through it alone. You're going to go through it with him. The the example that Jesus gives us is surrender to God. And you know what? Peter echoed the same principle when he wrote these words. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Notice, if you're suffering and you've done everything you know to do and you're in the will of God as much as you know to be and you're still suffering, then you commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. That's Peter. Don't tell me he didn't have faith. His shadow healed people. Give me somebody whose shadow is healing people. You know, I don't see that. He just walked down the street and they put people on the curb. His shadow healed people. But he said, sometimes you're going to suffer. And you commit yourself to your faithful creator. And you continue doing what is right. And let him speak to you in that suffering. Let him, let him talk to you. Seek him in that suffering. Call him into it with you. Say, Lord, I need your help here. I want to take your hand. I don't understand him. I don't understand her. I don't understand this. But I do know that you love me, and I'm going to walk through this with you. Amen, Pastor Jeff. That's good preaching. I like that. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. There was, uh, I I know somebody who was, I'll just share this real quick. I know somebody who, um, a, a denominational pastor and he was listening to one of these people who, um, who, whose ministry is divine healing. And I believe in divine healing. I anoint people every week. But this person was saying they didn't ever get sick. And one time this pastor was in another state. 
And he got sick and had to go to the doctor. So he just picked a doctor and went in there. And lo and behold, here is the healing person. And all he could think to say when he saw this person was, I thought you didn't believe in being sick. And they were busted. They'd flown to another state to go to a doctor. Now, I'm just saying, y'all, come on. Life's too short. I want the real God. I want the real truth. I know he heals. I've seen him heal over and over again. But if I don't also tell you, sometimes you're going to suffer and you're going to walk through it with God. and He's going to bring you out on the other side and you're going to have a stronger testimony and a stronger faith. I'm lying to you and I'm not going to lie to you. That's just the truth. And sometimes you got to discern which one it's going to be. Anybody in here ever had to walk through suffering with Jesus? I just want to know. And aren't you glad he was there with you? All right. So there's nothing wrong with your faith. Say it with me. Nothing wrong with my faith. All right. Notice Jesus trusted the Father with utter abandon. And this, says Peter, should be our attitude. This final statement of Jesus also testifies, and this is the theologian in me wants to bring this out and just show you. That we are triune beings. All right? Look at what Paul prayed. That means we have three parts. Watch what Paul prayed as we close here. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul said, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to say with me, I've got a spirit and a soul and a body. We are triune. Now, watch this. Paul divided man into body, soul, and spirit. Why would this matter? Because in our day, we're divided this way. Id, ego, superego. And we're divided that way by Freudian psychology. But I'm going to tell you folks something. Paul was not Freudian. He had the spirit of God. And you don't have an id and an ego and a superego. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now watch this. The body is composed of flesh and bone. The soul is the realm of the mind, will, and the emotions. But the spirit is that which goes into eternity at the moment of death. Your spirit is eternal. It's what Christ came to save for eternity. And it was his spirit that Jesus committed to God as he died. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, not my superego. I commit my spirit. And this is what we, this is why we go for souls. We say, well, our soul got saved, but your soul is your mind. The suke, the mind, the will, and the emotions. What happens when somebody gets saved? Their spirit gets born again, and that will go on into eternity when you die. And if you've ever been there when somebody did pass away, it's so clear. They're there, and then suddenly it's only a shell, and that person is gone. Their spirit went into eternity. And so that day, Jesus was in eternity with the thief on the cross. Okay? Now, the seventh relationship, these final famous words express a relationship within the Trinity— They show us as clearly as anything that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Father's only beloved Son. But they also remind us that God is our Father too. 
Jesus taught all of his disciples to talk with God this way. He urged us to call God our Father, especially when we pray. Many Christians have used these very words at the time of death. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here I come. My journey's over. I'm coming home. Here comes my spirit. One of the ways we prepare to die well is to call God our Father and learn to trust in His good fatherly care, just like Jesus did. Now, here's the last duty, and we're done. After that, it will be our duty to die well. It'll be our duty to die well, as Jesus did, in full submission to the Father. When it comes time for you to die, will you be ready to trust yourself, body and soul, to God? Will you be ready to say, into your hands, I commit my spirit? Here I come, Lord. It's my time. The way to get ready is to say the same thing every day about everything. And I really believe this. You you can practice every day, all day, by committing to him the things that matter to you now. I put it into your hands, Lord, everything. I put my health and safety into your hands. I give you my trials and sorrows. I give you my kids and my spouse. I give you everything I'm anxious about. I give you all my dreams and ambitions and aspirations. I give you all the broken parts of my life that I can never fix into your hands. I commit my spirit. I put it all into your hands and I ask you to receive me the way you received your own beloved son. So by the time it comes time to actually die and our spirit go into eternity, we got a lot of practicing. A lot of things you can practice on. Lord, I give you today, me and Kathy pray, Lord, we give you this building. We give you the flock you've given us. We give to you our kids. We give to you the finances we need. We give it all to you. We commit it into your hands. And if we can't commit that to him, how are we going to commit our spirits to him when we're dying? Amen? Now let's read in summary. Let's stand together and just go over these seven things in summary. Does this bless you tonight? All right, here we go. Read it with me. Jesus is our intercessor, king, our guardian protector, the suffering servant, the God-man, the finisher, and our model of surrender to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I believe there's things we need to commit to you tonight. And Lord, it's not easy. We so often doubt you, and we so often get nervous and worry and become fretful over things that really we can't do anything about. So, Lord, we're just going to practice and commit into your hands the things we're worried about, the things that are burdening, burdening us down, the things that have become a ball and chain around our ankles. We commit it to you. Lord, we commit that person to you, those people to you, the money to you, the financial need our children, our spouses, spouses that have departed, dreams that have not come to pass. We commit to you our aspirations, our vision, our dream, our desires, 
We commit into your hands all these things. Now, Lord, give us your peace. I want you to take a minute and just commit into the Father's hands the way Jesus modeled for us. Whatever it is you need to give to him so you can walk a little bit lighter when you leave here tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name, Lord.